Before we get to this week's episode, we've got a few things to take care of. First, we want to let you know that our audio course is finally out on Himalaya Learning. The Wildlife of Your Home pod course is a 10-episode series that will train you to become an indoor wildlife investigator, a rare kind of scientist. You'll learn about ecosystems by discovering the unknown creatures you wake up with every day. It's available right now on learning.himalaya.com tumble. If you enroll now, you'll get a free 14-day trial on the Himalaya Learning platform. And next, we got some new patrons to thank. Roland, Bridger, happy belated birthday on August 2nd, Bridger. Your dad loves you and loves all the adventures you go on. Isaac and Aurora Lang, Ian Skinner, Aaron, Holly, and Charlotte. And Charlotte, happy birthday on August 15th. Keep learning and asking questions. Your mommy loves you. And also Cleo Chan Testa. Keep learning and shining, and happy birthday on August 21st. There are also some more not-new patrons with birthdays coming up. Persephone Schmitter, happy birthday on August 14th. Leo Liked Gould, happy birthday on August 15th. Your parents love you and are so grateful for you. Catherine, happy birthday on August 16th. Emma Kay, happy birthday on August 21st. Mom and Dad are always so proud of you. Julian Butel, happy birthday on August 21st. Thanks to all of you and to everyone who supports Tumble on Patreon. If you'd like to get a shout-out like these people, or get a happy birthday wish from yours truly on our podcast, just go to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast and pledge at the $5 level or higher. Once again, that's patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Welcome to the Tumble Podcast, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. I'm Marshall. And I'm Lindsay. And this week we have an incredible story about what happens when science makes a big mistake with a giant toad. This story comes to us from our friend, Cheryl Kirschenbaum. My name is Cheryl Kirschenbaum. I work at the University of Texas at Austin, and I'm also a science writer. Cheryl first found out about this story from an Australian documentary she watched when she was a biology major in college. It's something that apparently all biology majors everywhere had to watch in class. And it's so strange that there's no way you can forget it once you've seen it. So what's this documentary about? Cane toads. It's called Cane Toads, an Unnatural History, and it's freely available on YouTube in five parts. So when Cheryl told me about the documentary, I went and I watched it on YouTube. It's 45 minutes long, it was made in the late 80s, and I read a review that described it as, get this, a horror comedy documentary. All right, I'm listening. As bizarre as it is, it tells a really important story about how science works and how sometimes there's unintended consequences. It starts, as a lot of science stories do, with scientists trying to solve a problem. So what was going on in the early 1900s, um, toward the 1930s, was this tiny little species of beetle, and uh, it's called the, the cane grub, and then it's, its adult form, the cane beetle, was ravaging the sugar industry, which is really important. Sugarcane was a major crop in Australia at the time, and cane beetles eat the leaves and lay their eggs 
underground at the root of the plant. So once they hatch, the cane grubs, baby cane beetles, eat the roots, destroying the plant. And because they're right at the root, farmers can't dig them up without killing their own crops. So the cane grub was a big problem for farmers in Australia. Yeah, and they were really desperate for scientists to fix their problem. And so all these scientists got together at a big meeting in 1932. It actually took place in Puerto Rico. And they decided the answer would be importing this species of toad called the cane toad. It's this gigantic, some might call ugly, toad. So I'm going to need a description of this toad. Uh, How giant is it and how ugly is it? Well, they weigh about four pounds and they're mostly brown and covered in warts. I wouldn't, <laughs> I would not want to touch one of these things at all. Um, I'm going to show you a picture real quick. So four pounds is like the size. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't it disgusting? Is it's really just gross. terrifying. It's gross. <laughs> what is that big lump behind its eyeball? <laughs> it's got all these veins. Oh my God. It looks like it wants to kill you. <laughs> yeah. It just looks like it's up to no good. Uh, Anyhow. Are there more pictures? (laughs) There are more pictures online. But anyhow, as disgusting as this cane toad is, they looked pretty good to the scientists because Mm. the idea was that cane toads must eat cane grubs and cane beetles. Okay, so you bring a bunch of toads to Australia, you breed them, and then they take care of the problem. That was the plan. So by 1935, they shipped just 102 cane toads to Gordonvale to control this cane grub, and this was going to solve everybody's problems. The cane toad was brought in as what's called a biological control. Biological controls are environmentally friendly alternatives to using pesticides. Chemicals that can kill things you don't want to kill. Right. And you probably already know about biological controls. It's like buying a bag of ladybugs to take care of the pests that are eating your garden. Or like getting a cat to get rid of barn mice. It's pretty common. So cane toads were like the ladybugs for the cane farmer's gardens. But, you know, a lot uglier because ladybugs are actually kind of cute. The good news, initially, is that the cane toads uh, were extremely successful at reproducing. And very soon, there were millions of cane toads at the first release site, which was called the, the Mulgrave River. Okay, so that's good news. But from there, things quickly got out of control. So what do you mean? Well, a female cane toad can lay around 30,000 eggs every year. And compare that to most Australian toads who lay around 100 eggs every year. Wow. Either way, that's a lot of toads. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And cane toads grow much faster and reach adulthood and breed again faster than native toads. So it sounds like the cane toads are kind of like a super toad. Like they've got a huge advantage over the natives. Yeah. And there's more. One of the reasons that the cane toad is so successful, and by success, I don't mean like good in the grand scheme of the environment. I mean successful as a species is because it grows quickly, it's very aggressive, and it's also a generalist. So cane toads will eat almost anything. Sure, they'll eat bugs and they'll eat plants, but they'll also just try whatever's in front of them. They'll go for it. And so animals like cane toads have been really good at coming into new places 
and outcompeting the animals that are already there and calling it home and losing some other species in the process. So the cane toad started eating the food that the other species ate, leaving less for them and transforming their natural habitats or changing the places where they lived. And then their population starts exploding and they spread all over the northern region of Australia. So they're not just in the cane fields. Oh no. They invaded habitats and they started having a major ecosystem impact. And also, cane toads secrete a toxic poison when they're under attack. So they can kill animals much bigger than them that thought they might have made a nice meal. Okay, so but was the cane toad not doing this in its homeland, like where it was from? Was it not like just dominating the whole world? Where cane toads are from originally, they have evolved to exist in that place with all the other animals that live there in a kind of natural balance. So they eat certain foods, they interact with other animals, and everybody kind of gets along, more or less. But when you take an animal like that and you put it into a completely different environment, in this case, Queensland, Australia, it doesn't have any natural predators that have been looking for it for a long time. So in South America, where cane toads are from, they had natural predators, the things that ate them and kept their numbers and range under control. But in Australia, other species didn't know how to deal with them. Oh man. And this can be a big deal, not just because they're outcompeting other little amphibians and lizards, but it starts to trickle up to affect other animals in the same environment. So, for example, there's a native species in Australia called the monitor lizard. And scientists have started to notice that there are fewer monitor lizards because they're not finding enough food. And so monitor lizard populations started going down, but the animals that the monitor lizards ate, a kind of finch, their population started going up because they didn't have as much pressure from animals trying to eat them. And so everything gets kind of out of whack. Nothing's in the same balance that it was before. So it's not just the, the direct impacts that the toads have on other animals. It's, the, it's what happens when other species are affected too. Yeah, because from there, more finches might also have an unexpected impact on the environment. And this could go on and on. And it's all going on today. Scientists have tried to get rid of the cane toads for years, but nothing has worked. Right now, the focus is on stopping their spread across the country. So at least they took care of the cane grubs though, right? That wasn't a problem anymore? No. What? No, it turns out the cane toads don't eat cane grubs. What? No. The cane toad could not eat the cane grub or the cane beetle because they were either hanging out in the air where the cane toads couldn't get them, or they were out and about at a time when there was no ground cover uh, for the toads in the cane fields. Yeah, it's unbelievable, right? The cane toads couldn't eat the pests that they were supposed to eat, either as babies or adults. Oh no. I mean, that sounds like a giant mistake. How did that happen? You know how sometimes in science, experiments just don't work out? Yeah, this is like a level beyond not working out. This is like a massive disaster. I agree. The stakes are much higher than in a lab where everything's isolated. 
And it's much more complicated in the environment. It's not that we ever expect to understand completely all of the aspects of interactions between species, but often we think we know how a system will respond, and in reality, there are factors that we haven't discovered yet. So what Cheryl is saying is that ecosystems are complex, and there are things that we can't predict because we don't understand it yet. But the fact that the cane toad doesn't eat what it's supposed to eat seems like a pretty huge factor to miss. Right, and it's not that scientists could just say, oops, that didn't work out. They ended up creating an even bigger problem than the cane grubs. So long story short, they spent all this time, energy, resources, effort to bring this animal into Australia, which is now taken over much of the country. Uh, and it couldn't ultimately do anything to get rid of the cane grub, which was the reason we brought it in the first place. Ultimately, the farmers used a pesticide that got rid of the cane grubs. So man, this is a tough story. So what's the discovery here? Is it just like, don't bring a cane toad to your island? That's definitely a discovery, and it's one that scientists have had to learn a lot of lessons about, not just with the cane toad. Introducing a new species to an ecosystem doesn't have to be a disaster, but sometimes, unfortunately, that's how science works. Scientists make mistakes and learn from them, just like we do in our own lives. Science is imperfect, and we can't always know everything that's going to happen in every kind of system that we work in. But the way science works is that we're learning all the time. And through these discoveries, we're becoming a lot better at how we go about making decisions, especially management decisions when it comes to making the environment better and safer and cleaner or whatever it is that we're trying to do. So have there been successful biological controls, which is what the cane toad was supposed to be? Or is that just a bad idea? Well, biocontrols can work really well in the right circumstances. For example, Australia had another problem with prickly pear, a cactus native to us here in Austin, which had completely spread into massive prickly pear forests. And scientists introduced a moth whose larvae completely wiped it out. Okay, so like sometimes it can work. Yeah, biocontrols are still considered a good way to avoid using harsh pesticides. And now scientists have a much better idea of what they need to know before introducing biocontrols. And it's easier to get information about the species and what's worked in other places in the world and what hasn't worked. We're a lot better at communicating with each other. So whereas this one meeting back in 1932 took place where a few different sugar scientists got together and came up with a plan, now we can instantaneously communicate with anyone in any part of the world online or over the phone or over video. And we can probably be a lot more informed about the way to do it without such terrible ramifications. So there is hope for the future. Yeah, but there are still invasive species all over the world that we have to deal with, even in our own backyard. We're going to be sharing more stories about invasive species in episodes to come. They are really interesting stories, even though they never end well. They're like how children's stories used to be all cautionary tales. That's probably why Cheryl had to watch the Cane Toad documentary to begin with. It's like a real-life fairy tale for biology majors. 
Except there are no houses made of candy in the middle of the woods. <laughs> There's only cane toads. Only cane toads. Well, so that's our show today. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more of this story, watch Cane Toad in Unnatural History. We'll have a link to it on our website, along with photos of cane toads and maps of where they've spread. Huge thanks to Cheryl Kirschenbaum for bringing us the cane toad fairy tale. And congratulations are in order for our associate producer, Sarah Lentz, who just had a baby. Welcome to the world, Juniper. That's baby's first podcast shout out. <laughs> if you liked this episode and any of our four other episodes, please take the time to tell the world in an iTunes review. We like to hear back from you and reviews also do a lot to help other people find our podcast. Also, you can get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter at TumbleCast. And please subscribe on whatever podcasting service you like to use so you can join us next time for more stories of science discovery.